What is up, families? Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com, so make sure you grab your copies there. And you are listening to the Black Men and White Girls podcast, the place where black male clinicians have the platform to share their stories with individuals like you. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you guys, please, everybody, take a minute, pause this, and subscribe. Just click that subscribe button so that way every time a new podcast comes out, you'll be notified and you can share it with your friends. We want to get this message out to as many people as possible because we are on a mission to increase the number of black men pursuing careers in the field of health for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is it just helps the community because we have more black male doctors take care of patients. But again, that's not the least of which there are plenty other reasons, but that's just one of the reasons. So please subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, tell a friend. This episode of Black Men and White Coats is brought to you by the Pre-Health Markets, www.prehealthmarket.com, affordable services for pre-health students. The issue is a lot of students, minority students in particular as well, they want help. They want help applying to medical school, applying to various professional schools, but a lot of these services cost so much money they can't afford it. So at Pre-Health Market, you're able to get expert opinions, expert services, expert guidance for a very affordable price. We're talking the price of a couple Starbucks drinks, right? So pre-health market makes it affordable for individuals to get expert services to help them get into medical school in the next level. www.prehealthmarkets.com. Now, let me tell you about today's guest. I am super geeked about this episode for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is that this guy was a basketball junkie. We're talking about Mr. Sholey Nicholson. He is a medical student at Harvard Med right now. Yes, take a second and clap for that. (laughs) Kudos to you, Sholey, a medical student at Harvard Med. But not just that, he was also an undergraduate at Harvard. So from Harvard College to Harvard Med, who does that? Who does that? Not to mention as a black male, awesome. Kudos to you, Sholey, kudos to you. And again, I love this story for a variety of reasons, but the basketball, the hoops junkie, that was just like me. He loved playing basketball. And because he he was a big hooper and he went to Harvard, I have no choice but to call this episode From Hoops to Harvard. <laughs> from Hoops to Harvard. And I will tell you from personal experience, and you're gonna you're gonna get it from listening to Sholey also, playing sports, you learn so much from it that you can transfer over to real life. And I believe that that's probably what happened to Sholey. You know, all the stuff he probably learned from being a very competitive, very good basketball player translated into his work ethic which subsequently led him to get into harvard and that's going to lead him greater places in life so kudos to you Shirley, for doing that so i want you guys to listen to the whole episode but at the very end make sure you stick around for these gems he just drops gems of wisdom wonderful stuff it's going to help you become successful all right so definitely pay attention enjoy the episode a lot of great stuff in here all right mr Shirley nicholson check it out Hey, Dr. Dale, I'd like to start by saying thank you for allowing me to speak on this podcast. And I hope uh, my story can help inspire some students to continue to choose a field of a career in medicine or to continue down the path or to work through some difficult times. Because um, I've sure had them and it seems like there were some difficult times in the previous podcasts as well. And maybe that's a recurrent theme in, in people going into medicine and also uh, black men going into medicine, you know, from a difficult background. 
So I'll start with the beginning. Um, I was born in Osaka, Japan, and I'm half Japanese and I'm half black. My mother is Japanese. And um, my dad was actually in Japan for dancing. He went with a, uh, his cousin who has a band that travels the world, and this was after um, he had grown up in Little Rock, Arkansas, and Dorchester, Massachusetts. So they moved to Dorchester, and there wasn't much in Dorchester for him. He played basketball. He tried the community college thing and didn't work out for him. So he got into dancing. He was into dancing. He traveled to Japan and ended up working there, staying there a few years, meeting my mom, and I was born. And uh, I came back to the U.S., to Boston, Massachusetts, when I was two years old. Um, and I returned to Japan every now and then, every few years or so, to see my family and to enjoy Japan. And this biracial upbringing was a very big part of me growing up. You know, I, I think I had a baseline of being open to different cultures because I was um, two different cultures, I, I, in two drastically different cultures. You know, I learned about different foods. I love Japanese food and I love soul food. I love <laughs> American food. Um, different languages. Speaking Japanese is very different from English, obviously. And that opened my mind and the eyes to, to just how different people can be from around the world. And it made me more understanding of people that, uh, different people as well. So after that, um, outside of being biracial, my parents really stressed academics. And they, neither of them went to college. Like I mentioned, my dad didn't finish community college, but they knew what education could get people based off of what they were experiencing. So because my parents didn't have college degrees, um, I feel like their opportunities were somewhat limited. And my dad started a small business, a janitorial company, and he cleans commercial buildings in Boston, and he still runs that business today. And he was a very hard worker. And this was after he did some code enforcement work, uh, state code enforcement work in the city. Um, and my mother does nails, she's a nail technician. And they're very happy with their work and they work hard, but they know they, you know, they wanted uh, more from me. You know, before my mom got into nails, she was uh, a waitress. And so these jobs in the service industry and entrepreneurship and, and having your own business are very difficult jobs and sometimes they can uh, find, be financially limiting uh, and stressful. And my parents wanted much more from me. Um, of course, you know, it's a different story. Entrepreneurship is something where you can really change the world and, and, and make a high income as well. But that's, that's a totally different subject. So they stressed academics and they wanted me to do well. I remember um, they always asked me how school was going. Of course, I never really wanted to talk about it. I just wanted to go out and play with my friends. But I remember one particular day when I was in third grade, I believe, um, we had a coloring assignment for homework. It was like a farm assignment and we had to color the pigs and the cows and whatnot. And I was at the kitchen table. My dad looked over my shoulder and he noticed that I was coloring outside the lines. I was scribbling. And um, he said, son, let me show you how to do this. And he, I remember he took the crayon and he outlined the animal very neatly in a dark color. And then he shaded the inside a lighter color. 
And he said, that's how you call it neatly. That's how you do a good job. And I remember from, that was the first moment that I realized that school was something that you want to do very well in. You know, school is something that you want to do your best at and continue to improve at and get good marks in and to learn for your, for your own future. And that one moment of my dad telling me how to properly color uh, taught me that how to read, how to write well, uh, how to speak well in school, how to participate, all these things were very, very important for me in my future. And I think that was the first moment where I really made it a priority for me personally to do well in school and to listen to the teacher and to learn. Also a part of my childhood is uh, basketball. I loved uh, playing basketball, uh, trying to improve at basketball. My goal was to play in the NBA. And um, I worked very hard at it. Me and my father used to go out to the basketball courts in our community and work on the same dribbling moves, you know, the shooting moves on the fundamentals. And um, I remember he used to push me. And then I would get into organized basketball. I played travel basketball and club basketball and um, really wanted to win games. And there were ups and downs. In, like all things, there were ups and downs in basketball as well. And that taught me how when you work really hard at something, you practice at something, you can get better and better. Um, also, if you don't practice correctly, you can make bad habits out of things you don't do correctly. Um, I learned the value as work, of working with a team. You know, it's important to have a shooter, to have a center, and you need to all work together to give yourself the best chance at winning the game and yourself the best opportunities for your future as well. Um, there were a lot of awesome lessons that came from basketball, and basketball actually is what got me into Phillips Exeter Academy, which is a really academically rigorous uh, high school in Exeter, New Hampshire. So I went to a basketball camp called Pine Tree Basketball Camp in Maine, at Colby College, my dad took me there because he had went when he was a kid. And there, you know, um, I played really well there. This was a, you know, accumulation of 10 years of really working hard at the sport. And um, I was noticed by a few coaches and one of them knew the coach at Phillips Exeter Academy. And, um, and this is boarding school. So as, as soon as that coach reached out to me from Phillips Exeter, I said, hey, why don't you check out our school? I was not having it. You know, I did not want to go to boarding school. I had my friends. At, the t at that time, I was living in Manchester, New Hampshire. And I was a city boy. You know, I'd go to the YMCA after, after middle school every day. And I had my life. I had my friends. I did not want to go to boarding school. I did not want to move away. And my dad said, why don't you don't say no to something um, before you see it. And um, the least I could do was go down to visit the school, meet the coach, and uh, see what it's all about. So we ended up going. And that was probably one of the best decisions of my life. Um, what sold me on the school was there were six basketball courts. <laughs> and they were all, you know, these were the nicest basketball courts I'd ever been on. The YMCA, the floors were all dusty, um, tile floors. You know, balls were all flat. You had different sizes of basketballs. Um, but here at, at Phillips Exeter Academy, there were six different basketball courts, you know, two gyms. Um, 
fitness facility, uh, weight room, hot tubs and cold tubs for rehabilitation. Um, so after seeing that, I was sold. Then, um, but I was lucky because also Phillips Exeter was one of the, you know, it has a really good reputation as a school. It was a very, I think it's by Business Insider, one of the top three ranked high schools in the country. Um, and I didn't know that at the time. I just knew it was a good school and they had a great basketball team and I could play basketball and I could get a chance at going Division One and playing in the NBA. But at the same, so I ended up, I ended up going, choosing uh, Phillips Exeter Academy for high school. And I, I repeated freshman year and I started there as a ninth grader and started on the varsity basketball team from freshman year. And it was a long journey of playing basketball and improving and upsets and triumphs and things like that. But in retrospect, one of the biggest things I learned from Phillips Exeter was um, developing uh, my academic ability and you know as an inner city kid going into one of the most difficult high schools in the nation I was extremely challenged you know um, I was not exposed to a lot of different words my vocabulary wasn't that great so in class I remember just doing the reading first of all I couldn't even finish the readings I had never read those, that many pages 30 pages in one night uh, for homework and things like that and then I needed to use a dictionary just to understand most of it. So I was starting, you know, as mentioned in the previous podcast, I was starting from a deficit as well. And I wasn't used to the schedule either. We had class from 8 to 6. My classes ended around, my last class ended around 5, and then I had basketball practice. And in that time, I had to fit in dinner and cross-country practice. And then after practice, starting maybe around 8 p.m., I had about three to four hours of homework each night. We had to wear a shirt and tie to class. And we had classes on Saturdays as well. So this was, this was very uh, regimented schooling. And it was difficult. And I would see the grades of my classmates, and I was just blown away by how well they were doing. You know, uh, A's in all the classes. Uh, basically a close to 4.0 GPA and I could barely get above a 3.0. And um, at that time, I didn't know that they had come from really good backgrounds, right? Their family, they had really uh, families with a lot of resources that could invest in their students. Their ch children's education from a young age, from, high, from middle school to go to a private middle school and take Chinese classes in middle school and to read and things like that. So that development from a young age helped them do well in high school and onward. I didn't realize that. And uh, it was motivation for me to improve. So it was just constant trial and error. If I didn't do well in an English paper, I would greet my teacher, talk about what I could improve and keep working at it and try and get better and better and better grades. Um, I never ended up getting a 4.0, but I learned a lot of things that helped me academically. And Eventually, I improved so much that um, I got into Harvard College when I applied. And that wasn't just me, you know, that was my, my college counselor, that was my basketball coach, uh, my teachers, everyone was vouching for me because they saw how hard I worked and how important it was for me and how willing I was to learn and to listen. 
And so I guess one quick word of advice at a young stage would be to uh, respect elders and respect people, teachers that are trying to teach you and do things for you. Be appreciative to listen. Be, have good character as much as you can. And those things will take you a long way. And it did for me. It got me into Harvard College. Um, and when I started at Harvard, there were a lot of really fantastic things at Harvard. I mean, you know, I went from a school with phenomenal resources to a school with even more resources at Harvard College. You know, there's funding. There was funding for me to do anything I wanted. Um, I began volunteering at the Harvard Square Homeless Shelter and as a resource advocate, and I would work with the homeless guests there and try and uh, get resources for them, you know, an ID, a driver's license, or glasses, or cell phone, or apply to housing. And that inspired me to start a Homes for the Homeless program where I raised funds and found paid for the housing for a homeless person that was hardworking. And that was really incredible experience. I learned a lot from that, and that was important in my medical school application. And also me just learning how much I, I enjoyed uh, helping another person. Um, I was able to study abroad in Japan. I was, I was taking Japanese through high school and I continued through college. And I studied in Hakodate, Japan, which is in, it's in Hokkaido, Japan, northern Japan. And I had delicious food. Um, I stayed with a host family there for eight weeks. And I went to school every day and I just had a really, really incredible, incredible experience. And through Harvard funding, they paid for tuition and the airfare over there. Harvard was also um, really difficult. And um, similar story, you know, academically, uh, I knew from day one I wanted to do well. I wanted to get a 4.0 GPA, the best GPA possible. And I did pretty well starting out, but it took a lot out of me. Um, definitely took a lot out of me to try and do well. And there were classes that I remember no matter how hard I worked, no matter what I had put into those classes, that I could not, for the life of me, get the grade that I wanted to get. And I learned about persistence. I learned about hard times and really uh, doubting oneself, which was also a recurrent theme in the last podcast. Um, but I stuck to... What I learned in high school, you know, I stuck to learning from my classmates, listening to my teachers, trying to be a good person, putting all I could in, trying to work hard and smart. And with time, I improved, I improved, I improved, I learned, and I did end up getting a 4.0 GPA. Um, but that was after, you know, I reached a point my junior year. I was taking organic chemistry, human anatomy, overloaded. And I, I told myself that I was going to drop out of school after the spring semester because I was just so exhausted. Um, and I actually had an internship lined up this, that summer to go to um, Kobe, Japan to work. And I was really excited about this internship, which I'll get into a little bit. And I was going to um, not go to that internship. And so spring semester ended, I started applying to research jobs in Boston. 
And I had a few weeks before I had to leave for that internship. And um, I was going to take a year off from school. And I told myself, you know what? Like, even though I, I wanted to quit, I wanted to take a break. And even though I think it's the right decision to take a break and I'm exhausted, I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm just going to keep on going with it. And something like it's some kind of blind persistence that I said, I don't, you know, at this point, I really don't care how difficult it gets, how exhausting it is. I'm just going to do it. And you just make a decision to stick with something when it's hard. And again, that was another pivotal point where my life changed. It always seems like after the darkest time, something really developed, something that I couldn't really expect or, or dream of occurs. So I ended up going to that internship and it was at the Takenaka Carpentry Tools Museum. And I was working around master carpenters, Japanese carpenters. And the unique thing about Japanese carpentry, traditional Japanese carpentry, is that you don't use any power tools. So it's all chisels, hammers, and um, you cut pieces of wood to fit together like a puzzle. So a lot of the temples and pagodas, the famous ones in East Asia, in China and Japan, they're built like puzzles. So you can take them apart piece by piece from top to the bottom without any screwdrivers or things like that. And you could put them right back together. And the reason why they do traditional Japanese carpentry is built this way is that it it allows uh, wood to be flexible. In Japan, there were a lot of earthquakes, you know, and uh, wood changes with the seasons. And if you cut wood very precisely and don't use nails and screws that have the potential to rust, um, these pieces fit together and the wood lasts, the buildings last a very long time. The oldest standing wooden structure in the world, uh, Horyuji Temple, is built this way. And it was built in 700 AD, so thousands of years ago, nearly 2,000 years ago, and it's still standing today. Of course, it's been renovated a little bit and um, touched up, but a lot of the wood is uh, it's built like it was originally, and that's because of the way it was made. So that, I was fascinated about that. And so I apprenticed at the museum. I did a lot of translation work. I was around these tools. I was around these carpenters. And I was watching and learning how they worked and how it was a lifestyle for them. You know, the way they lived, the way they ate, the way they spoke, they were very humble. Um, all contributed to the way they worked. And it was a type of being that influenced the quality of work that they did. And that really inspired me. At the time, I was on the fence about pursuing medicine. I was interested in it. I wanted to help people. Um, I liked the, the science and the academic rigor of it. But I didn't know if I wanted to really commit to a lifetime of schooling and, and development that it takes, the, lo the long road that it is. And when I realized that these carpenters are doing things that aren't supposed to be possible, like building wooden buildings that last thousands of years, uh, because of the lifestyle that they have and the training, the apprenticeship that they do, that that ultimately inspired me to continue with medicine because I was interested in surgery and I, I'm excited about what I can achieve 
by living the principles of the traditional Japanese carpenter. And so with that newfound inspiration, in Japan that summer I also um, learned about meditation and living in the moment, being present in the moment, and not stressing out too much over things. So I returned to school senior year with a newfound uh, passion for medicine and new skills, ultimately, that could help me manage the difficult times. And that's when I ended up getting a 4.0 GPA for the first time. Um, and I was so excited. About, I was so happy about that because I had been working for a 4.0 since high school. I always wanted to get a perfect score and I could never do it. So to have it this time, man, I was, I was so happy. And that was newfound energy. I was reinvigorated to really believe in myself and to move forward. Um, so the next step at the college was I was going to start applying to medical school, but I had to take the MCAT. So I, I, I studied self-study for the MCAT over the summer. And I, I also wanted to work a little bit and do some research so I could apply while, while doing research. I didn't have enough research experience and I wanted some more. So I remember I had one research job opportunity. I didn't know much about job interviews. So I went to that and um, I did terribly. I didn't know how to speak in an interview and promote myself. So I ended up not getting that job. And I remember the end of the summer was approaching. I had no opportunities and I did not know what I was going to do. Um, I remember my good friend of mine from college connected me with someone at Massachusetts General Hospital. And he gave me the opportunity to meet, to meet with him. It was Dr. Lynch. He was the CEO of Physicians at the time. So it was really incredible that he made the time for me to come visit him and speak with him about what I'd like to do and, and talk to me about potential opportunities. And he connected me with one research group called the Cancer Outcomes Research Group. Uh, I remember a week later, this was in sometime in August, um, that I had a job, off, uh, job interview with them. And I knew I had to do well in this job interview because I did not want to go home without a job and not know what I was going to do before applying to medical school. And so I prepared and I practiced and everything was on the line. And um, I still remember that day that I went to the job interview at Massachusetts General Hospital that I had no money. Actually, I had negative money in my bank account because I overdrew my bank account to buy the round trip bus ticket to Boston for that job interview. And, you know, of course, long story short, I did well because I had to. And this was, this was important to me. My, 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 my career, my future was on the line for this opportunity. And I was not going to let anything stop me from it. And I did get that job and I worked there for two years and applied to medical school. And my mentor there, um, Dr. El Arij Eljawari, who's an oncologist, incredibly, incredibly helpful throughout the application process. And the rest of the team there at Cancer Outcomes Research Group was helpful in my development and giving me opportunities to do research and to learn. And that ultimately helped um, augment my uh, medical school application. And I guess that's another good point to remember is that it's good to treat things like it's your only chance, your only opportunity, and then you'll take them very seriously and you'll do well in them and you'll prepare well. And 
I remember this application cycle to medical school. It, it went really well. I had interviews around the country. I think I had around 20 interviews and I had gotten into around, um, I was only rejected from a few schools. So I got into most schools that I interviewed at. Um, and I'm very fortunate for that. And some interviews I actually ended up not going to because it was too expensive and I was already happy with the prospects that I had. So needless to say, it was a really phenomenal application cycle. And these experiences that I had um, that I'm telling you guys about um, were things that I talked about in the interview in my medical school application. Um, so hardships and difficult times can be pluses when applying to medical school and can be can really help you show your character when you talk through them with the admissions committee. And I remember one point in the medical school interview cycle, it was around March, and I was I had already gotten to a few schools. Right now on the top of my list were U Chicago and Duke University, Duke School of Medicine. And um, I was waiting to hear back from Harvard Medical School. This was my number one choice. From freshman year of college, you know, I knew I was going to try and apply to Harvard Medical School. I mean, that was on my mind. I remember I used to practice my medical school interviews while walking to the library freshman year of college. You know, oh, I want to pursue medicine, not because I just want to help people, but I want to become this and that. You know, I still remember that. And so I was excited about um, the opportunity to potent the prospect of getting into Harvard Medical School. So the decision comes out, um, it came out March 26, and I was not accepted. Um, but I was, uh, it was, I was on the waiting list. And I was happy about that, but it was actually very discouraging because at this point, you can imagine four years of high school, four years of college, two years of research, and really giving it my all all this time. I was ready to just, um, sit back. You know, I'd already got into a few schools I'm happy with. Let me just take those opportunities and um, not stress anymore, you know. And so I was on the fence between pursuing um, the wait, pursuing getting off the wait list and accepting or sitting back and accepting the schools I had already gotten into because they were great schools. But deep inside, you know, I knew I wanted to go to Harvard Medical School. I wanted to try to get in. And I had already spent so many years working towards this goal that let me just push a little further. And this was a recurring theme a few times in my life, as you guys have heard, when I was potentially considering not going to Phillips Exeter, potentially, um, um, you know, not coming, potentially considering taking a year off from college and so on and so forth. So I, 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 I concretely remember one night waking up at like 3 a.m. because this was on my mind and I just started crying because I was so exhausted, but I knew what I had to do. I had to pursue getting off the wait list at Harvard Medical School and try and do whatever it took until they told me no. And as much as I was tired, as much as I could choose to lay back and move away and just go to another school that's a great school, I gave it my all and said, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go for this. So I went for it and I talked to as many people as I could to learn about more ways that I could still be a strong prospect to get off the waiting list. I wrote update letters, um, spoke with my mentors and so on and so forth. And I really, I ended up um, 
getting off and getting into Harvard Medical School. And I still remember the email that came in one morning uh, when I was working in research that to say, congratulations, you was accepted. And long as I, I could say that, I slept really well that night. <laughs> that was probably 10 years of not sleeping enough, all made up for in the deepest sleep I've ever had after getting into Harvard Medical School. And that's where I am now. And, um, you know, the principles are the same. At Harvard Medical School, I continue to try and improve and continue to pursue my passion of reconstructive surgery and using the principles of the traditional Japanese carpenter and continue to learn and pass on things that I've learned. So that's my story. And I would love to share a few things uh, to reiterate a few things that I think are really important for pre-medical students especially uh, black students, to learn. And the first is to allow yourself to dream. You know, a lot of us underrepresented minorities, um, if we come from underprivileged backgrounds and difficult communities, we don't see a lot around us that shows us what's possible. You know, we don't see, uh, in the communities we, we come from, or the community I came from, I didn't see a lot of wealthy super wealthy people and understand um, what it could mean to live a fulfilling life, to have a job that you love, that you, you want to go to work every day and that you could make an impact in someone else's life or you could do this or you could do that. Um, and to allow myself to think bigger than what I saw around me and to believe in those things is huge, to dream and to hold on to those dreams to hold fast to those dreams. My favorite movie is Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith because of his pursuit of his dream of becoming, uh, I believe it was a stockbroker. Uh, and he had been homeless, you know, he had a son to care for, and he pursued his dream of, of, of doing that, and he became that. And it's based on a true story. And that really, I hold on to that. And he tells his son to hold on to your dreams because people tell you you can't do something because they can't do it themselves. And I think that couldn't be truer. And that's been true in my life as well. So first thing I want to say is to dream. The next thing is to believe in those dreams and to believe in yourself. And the, the, the next thing I want to mention is delayed gratification. And medicine and careers in medicine are a lifestyle. You know, it's a lifelong journey of learning um, about how to work with other people, about science and the physiology of the human body, and on and on and on. And so it's delayed gratification, you know, if you want to think about becoming a doctor as a gratification. You know, it's eight years of college and med school until you're the MD. You want to think about becoming a surgeon. It's potentially another seven years of surgical training to become, uh, to become an attending surgeon and so on and so forth. So um, at the same time, there's an important lesson of living in the moment, but also it's a lifestyle of pursuing your dream that you got to embody and hold on to for your whole life that really helps you achieve the things that you, you hope to achieve. And I'd like to finish off the two most important things uh, that I learned at Harvard College. And I think if I could bundle down a, a, my whole education at Harvard University uh, undergraduate into two things, it would be these. The first thing is to be resourceful. 
Um, so to use the world, see the world as full of resources and to use these resources to learn, you know, to read books, to become a reader, to listen to podcasts like this, to speak with other people who are successful, who are where you would like to be, or even who are doing very well in the class you're taking and to get their best advice, to talk to teachers, professors, to use your senses, to touch things, to smell things, you know, to to see things and use your mirror neurons to help emulate um, what you would like to achieve, the things that you like and you see in other people. To be resourceful, to develop yourself. And then the next, the second most important thing at Harvard College I learned is to execute. So to use all these things that you learn from these resources and to act on them. Use your hands. Um, and to really take action on these things in pursuit of what you would like to achieve. Um, so I hope those help you in your career. I hope that was helpful. And thank you so much for featuring me, Dr. Dale, and thank you for listening. What an amazing story. Tell me I'm lying. Tell me I'm lying because I'm not. You can't tell me I'm lying because I'm not lying. What an amazing story. Again, kudos to you, Shows, just showing us how to do this. You know, if when I was a pre-med, I would have loved to have heard your story because this would have impacted me so much as an individual who had that, you know, that basketball background and that determination, that drive very similar to you. It would have been very good for me to hear somebody in front of me hearing that. I've been mean, saying that. So, you know, to all the young guys and gals listening to this, I really hope you took notes. I hope you paid attention because there's just so much wisdom throughout this. I love, I love the pursuit of happiness also. I love that movie. Love, love, love it. And when you said it at the end, I hadn't thought about it, but when you said it at the end, I was able to clearly see how that played out in your life. Clearly see how that played in your life. There's somebody who seems to, you know what you want and you go after what you want. This whole deal about you got into other medical schools, but you wanted to stick it out for Harvard because that was your dream. That was your goal. You wanted to stay with it. That's conviction. And when you have conviction, that takes you places in life, right? That takes you places in life. And, you know, I'm just very happy for you that you got into Harvard. I'm very happy for you that that all the things, all the great things are going to happen to you that you don't even know are going to happen yet. But amazing things will happen to you, not because you went to Harvard, but because of who you are, because of your mindset, because of your mentality, because you pursue that happiness. And that's awesome, man. That's just awesome. So, again, everybody listen to this. Follow suit. Follow suit. Listen to what he said. Listen to the wisdom. Do those things. And even simple things, he, you know, he described this deal about learning the carpentry skills and just certain techniques and things that he wants to apply to his career in medicine. How awesome is that? Who thinks like that to say, I learned this thing completely unre seemingly unrelated to medicine, yet I was astute enough to pay attention and bring that into the field of medicine. We need things like that. That's innovation. We need people who can do things like that. See something that has seemingly nothing to do with medicine and find a way to correlate it, to relate it, to bring it into our field, to make the field better. That's critical. And that's why we need diversity in medicine. That's why we need people from different backgrounds. Surely, you know, he's, he mentioned that he's black and, and Asian. And, and that unique mix right there allows him to see things differently than us, at least than me. And then I imagine the most of you, right? That's unique. We need uniqueness in the field of medicine. I just think that's awesome, man. I'm going to get super excited i'm actually recording this is about to be midnight i'm getting tired so i'm probably getting a little bit delirious here but i'm just super excited to listen to this episode because i think there's really so much great stuff in this episode from hoops to harvard from hoops to harvard man 
Shout out to Sholi. Thank you so much for being on this episode. So much great stuff that I learned from this episode. So I know the pre-meds and the parents and everybody else listening. I know you guys had to have learned from this. Sholi, hats off to you, my friend. And for everybody else, thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions at all, students, you know where to find me. I'm on premedstar.com. And parents, you can find me through blackmenandwhitecoats.org. Check out the website, blackmenandwhitecoats.org. Oh, I should also mention, we just put up the recap video for the summit. So go on blackmenandwhitecoats.org. Actually, go to blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash host, H-O-S-T. And only fill that form out if you're interested in hosting a summit and and have the connections and network and resources to actually be able to contribute to making that happen. Right, So you can fill that form out. But what I want you to do on that page is scroll down to the bottom and you can actually watch our summit recap video or you can go to our facebook page and watch it there as well a phenomenal summit we have a four minute recap video just let you guys see get it get a summary as to what the summit looked like it was a wonderful thing and we're going to be hosting hopefully a lot more summits and if you are interested in hosting one go ahead and fill out that form and we will work with you partner with you and, and try to bring this to your city and make it as big of a success as it was in dallas all right well thank you guys for listening Until next time, I love you.